you're brand new to our church, I'm going to open the Bible up here today. Uh, we've been in a series. We do series in our church to kind of capture an idea or a theme, or sometimes we'll do something expository. But today, we've been in a series called Ending Droughts. And essentially, to paraphrase the last two weeks, if you've missed out, you can go on our podcast. But we've been talking about how essentially droughts uh, cause famines. And if there's a famine in the land, if you can stop the drought, you can end the famine. And what we talked about is that droughts can end suddenly when the ra- if it rains enough. And we talked about not just natural droughts, but spiritual droughts. Acts 28, who was here two weeks ago? God bless you. Who was here last week? We talked about Jonah, the original chicken of the sea. And uh, we, uh, <clears throat> we had a great time. But today, if you're brand new to our church, great place to jump in and start. We're going to go to a, a Bible uh, book It's actually one of two books in the Bible named after a female. It's called the Book of Esther. And it's a great book. Uh, I love it personally. I think it's a beautiful book. It's kind of a a gray story painted on a dirty canvas. And I think it's really powerful. And if you're here today, some of you are going to relate to this story um, in a really significant way. But before I get started, I was praying last night, and I felt like God wanted me to say this before I got started today. Be very clear. Sometimes he tells me things that he's going to heal. Um, and they're physical sometimes, but today I felt like there was people that maybe lost a parent at a young age, and God wanted me to let you know that he sees you, that he's with you, and that even if it's been 20 years or 30 years or three years, God can heal your heart. And um, for some of you today, he's going to just really touch you. Maybe some of you were raised by grandparents or other people, and I just felt the love of God wanted me to tell you that he can heal you from those wounds of not having a natural mom or a natural dad. Is that all right? So I just wanted to share that up front. Everybody doing good? I know it's Super Bowl, so I'm going to preach a little bit longer today. Let's defend everybody. Um, But if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Esther, book of Esther, chapter 4. If you're new to our church, I'm going to read about 10 verses this morning, a few out of chapter 4 and a few out of chapter, I think it's chapter 8. And then we're going to pray. I'll tell you a couple stories, and if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this title down, God's Star, God's Star. Uh, Incidentally, if you didn't know this, Esther literally means star, and uh, God used this woman, Esther, as a star, and uh, I do believe that today God is still raising up stars. Are you with me today? He's raising people like Esther's, like Mordecai's, like Daniel's, like Joseph's, like Deborah's. I go down the list. God's still using humanity. I do believe that God has a plan for humanity. Uh, I wrote this down last night. I think I wanted to tell you in the very beginning, write this title down or write this thought down. Life is about God and his great love for people. We can summarize, condense life down to this idea. Life is about God. He gave it to us. And it's about his great love for people. I'm going to do my best. Esther's 10 chapters. So I'm going to try my best to synthesize 10 chapters in um, 32 minutes. Kind of like going to the Golden Corral with one plate, <laughs> an empty stomach, and just trying to get a little bit of everything on this, suck, this sucker. Are you guys ready to go? But we're going to do our best. We're going to make mom proud and make your wife embarrassed. You guys ready? All right. Get your Bible out. If you have it, Esther, we're going to start reading here. Give you a little context here. Uh, Esther's one. I love this, this book. It's a, it's a powerful book. There's a lot of liberal theologians out there that, that, that say awful things about Esther. Uh, the book, they, they call it a dirty book. Some even would say it shouldn't be in the Bible. I think it's right where it belongs. 
I think it's one of the most redemptive stories that we find. Basically, a guy named Mordecai, a little bit of a lukewarm Christian, if we're being modern-day vernacular, uh, wasn't really serving God super closely in that regard, allowed his cousin, which was kind of like his daughter, niece, to be a part of a beauty pageant, to marry a pagan man, which is a no-no in the Jewish law. We find, Esther, that there's no mention of God directly, no mention of prayer directly, no mention of faith directly. However, God's providence is everywhere. His fingerprints are all over the book. And I love the book because it's basically a depiction that God doesn't just use perfect people to do perfect things. God used imperfect people to do awesome things in the world. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want to talk to you that God used a star named Esther. And I think he's still raising up stars today. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Esther ended two droughts. Two droughts. Not one, two droughts. The first drought she ended in her life was a genocide drought. There's a wicked man we're going to read about named Haman. Haman essentially uh, has it out for the Jewish nation. We'll talk about why a little bit later in the message. But this enemy of Israel talks the king into plundering in a genocide. This is a wicked king, by the way, not a, not a righteous king. If you've seen the movie 300, this is the king of Persia we're talking about. They actually made the movie after this king. This king's dad was Artaxerxes, which was the king that Nehemiah went to to get letters to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. This is the same, uh, this is the same king that would go to war with Greece and lose against King Philip II, who had a son named Alexander that was pretty great. Are you with me? So this is a very, very historically documented uh, contextual story. It takes place in the time period of Ezra and Nehemiah, right after the book of Daniel. Are you with me? And so what we find here is in the 10 chapters, with a, chapter 1 and 2, it summarizes God's divine providence and sets the stage. Chapters 3 through 5, it discusses the satanic plot. And chapter 6 through 10 is sovereign protection. If I was being honest with you today, I'm not going to promise you that if you vote for Jesus, your wildest dreams are going to come true. Pedro, it's a movie. It's an Idaho movie, by the way. I, I would tell you today that if you turn your heart fully to Jesus, it does not mean that you will have no problems. I would actually say the contrary. You might actually have, in some ways, more problems. The irony is this, though, is you would be able to define your life like Esther as looking back at the end and going, there was divine providence, there was a satanic plot, but there was divine protection. Esther sets a stage of what it's like to be God's star. Some of you today, you're like, Mark, I'm in the middle of an attack. Well, guess what? The enemy attacks people he's threatened by. Here's the good news. If you're being attacked today, we should celebrate that you're not a threat. Come on. You're a threat to hell. If the hell is after you, you must be doing something right. Because he doesn't waste time on people that are marching with him. So we find here in Esther a powerful story. But this guy named Haman, he's an agite, an agite that's going to come into play later. But this, this guy named Haman, he talks the king of Persia into this genocide. So the king signs off. He says, on this day, notice this, it was interesting. There was going to be a day that in every province, which there was 100 and, uh, 180, I think, provinces that he was over, essentially the king says, you can kill any Jew you want with no defense repercussions. This is a crazy thought. Genocide would have happened in one day. If the satanic plot would have carried through, the end of the Jews would have happened in one day. Can I give you something first service didn't get? 
Do you know why there's been anti-Semitism since the beginning? Because the promise to destroy the snake was through the woman's seed. Big picture. Do you know why there's been throughout history an attack on the Israel nation? Because Israelites were the chosen people that gods would actually allow the seed of the woman to go through. Become Israel. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. You, so are you. And let's just praise the, right? And now it says in Romans that not only the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And for all those who believe. So here's what we know. There's been an attack on the Jewish population because it's through the Jewish nation, the, the Jewish, the Jewish, Shande Limande Skeledes. It was through the Jewish nation that the seed of the woman would be crushed, the head of the snake. Amen? It's a big picture. That's a 30,000-foot doctrinal view there. But we find here in Esther that they signed the decree. Mordecai, Esther's essential uncle, actually is her cousin, he's a judge in the kingdom. He gets wind of a one-day genocide, which I want to introduce this thought as well. If the enemy tried to kill all of God's people in one day, do you think that God would have the power to save everybody? If death could happen in one day, couldn't life? Just a thought-provoking sila, right? We know this, is that he comes to her and he says, look, you got to do something. And she's like, I'm not sure if I want to do something. In verse 13, chapter Chapter 3 is where we pick up reading. Chapter 4, actually, verse 13. It says, and Mordecai told and, and answered uh, to Esther. He said, listen, listen, little girl, don't you think in your heart that if you, if you stay quiet in the palace, you'll be safer than any of us other Jews. If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Notice this today. If you stay silent in your life, God will raise up someone else in your lineage to bring deliverance. Some of you, you have the opportunity to do what your parents did not do. Some of you, it was grandparents that refused to kill Goliath. And I'll tell you this, the giants you allow to survive will always attack your descendants. He says, listen, deliverance will arise from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, here's the famous passage. Who knows, Esther? Whether or not you come to the kingdom, became the queen, won this pageant for such a time as this. Esther replied to Mordecai, well, you got a point. Go gather all the Jews and present, present them and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink three days or nights. My maids and my will also fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law, by the way. And if I perish, I perish. Here's what I love about faith. By the way, if you're a non-believer today, an atheist, I'm glad you're here today. But let me present an idea to you. I love this idea. If I perish, I perish. She basically says, if I do nothing and I believe nothing today, I'm going to die for sure. But if I approach the king, maybe something can change. What I would say to those that don't believe in God at all is if, if you do believe, you have nothing to lose. For if you're wrong about God being real, you're just right back to where you are right now. Does that make sense? If I perish, I perish. I want to talk to you today about God's stars. Are you ready? I'm going to preach short. i got 23 minutes. You ready? Father, we love you. I thank you for the Super Bowl today. Thank you that Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts are both believers, and we cheer them on today. I just thank you that you would do something even greater, though, in these tents that's, that's going to happen on that field today. We ask you to populate heaven. We ask you to heal people on the earth. 
we ask you that you would transform a city, that you would raise up an on-fire Book of Acts church. We love you, Holy Spirit. We honor you, Holy Spirit, and we ask you to have your way today. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask and we pray. And God's people said a hearty amen. amen. I've often thought it's interesting how humanity is drawn towards greatness. We celebrate greatness. It's funny to me that no one has to tell you to spend money to go to a better restaurant. For some reason, you know, it... it the tacos are still called tacos, whether they're made at Del Taco or they're made at Javier's. They're called tacos. You're willing to spend more for one than the other, oftentimes because of who's preparing the tacos. Can I get a witness? People are attracted to greatness. People this last week went and embarked on the crypto arena, watched LeBron James break the career record for the most points in any NBA career. 38,390 points passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. People are attracted. They're drawn to greatness. Last time I checked, no one in the room. Actually, uh, TripAdvisors, uh, give me an average hotel. I'm looking for a mediocre steakhouse. Please give me a referral on a really unreliable place to go. Last time I checked, we're often drawn to things that are good. I would even say great. We rate everything nowadays. We give, we give ratings to Uber drivers. We give ratings to hotels. After a flight, they ask you to do a rating of your experience. People even nowadays rate churches. And if you give a church a one-star rating, it's very likely you're not going to heaven. That's a joke, but seriously, though. <laughs> Who does that? Judas. Um, but I would say, I would say... For the most part, human humanity is drawn towards stars. I don't know what it is, looking at the way God made us, but we are all human-ingrained, wired into being drawn to comic book figures, superheroes. We're drawn to great ath athleticism. We're, we're drawn to the great business leaders of the world. You, you, we want to study and read the memoirs and the autobiographies of people that were exceptional in their field of experience. Are you hearing me today? We want to watch stars. We want to cheer for stars. Some people even want to dance with them. Are you with me today? Why is it, though, that we can sit today, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and cheer for people on a television that you've never met, you'll probably never meet, that the bearing of their life has no direct impact on your life or your family, and yet you'll be willing to lose your voice, paint your chest, come on, to cheer on something because... For some reason in your heart, when they win, you feel like you're winning. And when your team loses, you feel like you're losing. One of the tough things about being a Cowboys fan. Can I get an amen? It's like, ah, I'm a loser. No, no, you're, you're a winner. Uh, joking. I, uh, I was thinking about this, that God has, throughout history, he's elevated people and they've shined. People have always been drawn to someone that shines in their place. I don't know if you've ever watched any beauty pageants. Mrs. Idaho, Mrs. California. Our friend was Mrs. Idaho. We had a friend in our church, and she went on to Miss America. And if you win Miss America, you get to be Miss Universe. That's a lot of weight. <laughs> Mr. Universe. I was going to be Mr. Universe. <laughs> Decided not to do that. Um, it's amazing, though, on a serious note, that people are drawn to stars. Thinking about Esther, her name means star, and her 
She was. She essentially won the first beauty pageant that we know of. First beauty pageant of the Bible, the only beauty pageant of the Bible, is when this guy, by the, he was a king. He was Artaxerxes' son. He was, uh, he was married to this beautiful woman, actually the granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And her name was Vashti. And Vashti was this beautiful, forgive me, trophy wife. And he wanted to actually present her to all of his guests. He had 180 of his regional leaders and noblemen. They were there. Scholars and historians would tell us that he actually had all of these leaders at a banquet. It lasted 180 days. It was a six-month party funded by Uncle Sam. And he was whining and he was dining. And the reason why they do this in the ancient world is because they were trying to sell a battle plan. They were preparing the extended kingdom to go to war. War was eminent with Greece, and so this king did a banquet for 180 days, and after that was over, he did a seven-day banquet for his staff. But during the 180-day banquet, he called for his wife to come in and basically to show everybody in the kingdom how beautiful his wife was. She refused to come. And when she didn't show up, all of his friends said, you know what we should do? We should do a beauty pageant, and let's select a new wife for the king. And lo and behold, lo and behold, a star is born. And Esther shows up. She's the most beautiful girl, the Bible says, in all of the kingdom. And the king falls for her. She becomes the queen. She's elevated. She tells nobody that she's a Jew. And literally, she gets elevated in the kingdom. And it's wild. We see that through her life, God would, God would position her sovereignly. Pretty wild that God would raise up a girl out of 127 providences that God raised up this young lady by the name of Esther. And here's what I want you to write down today. I think that God raised up Esther to be a star. And I think that today God is still raising up stars. It actually says in Philippians 2.15, do all things without complaining and disputing that you might actually be like your father in heaven, shining like a star amongst a crooked and a perverse generation. God is still raising up stars. Can I get an amen? I don't want to be a star. Well, here's the good news. Every star is actually a star only because, because of the hand of God's providence in our life. I want you to say these two words, power and providence. I love the Bible. There's miracles and there's providence. Miracles is when God does something with, to, to overthrow natural laws by his sovereign supernatural power. Providence is different, ladies and gentlemen. Providence is when God does something supernatural with the natural. God does something with natural means that's supernatural. Are you with me today? And so we find here that Esther is a star. That's what her name means. And I think every star that is developed in God's kingdom is developed like Esther's story. Is the first thing we know. I want you to write these five things down today. Every star in the kingdom of God has a season of preparation. If you're not shining as a, as a, let me just say this first, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a pro basketball player, football player. Do you know that whatever God made you with your skill set good at, whatever your natural gift set is, whatever you're doing vocationally, I was, with, I was with guys the other day, and they said, I don't like the question, what do you do for a living? Because some people only ask it to find out what your net worth is. I said, there are probably people like that in Orange County. But the reason why I love to know what people do for a living is I want to know how they're worshiping God through their work. You see, I believe all God-given vocation is worship. I actually believe that before the fall, did you know there's work? People sometimes think that heaven is going to be like clouds and harps and fat babies. Come on. 
and diapers, big safety pin from In-N-Out Burger. Come on, stay with me. It's not. It's not like that. Actually, we know that heaven, there's going to be vocational work there. But you're going to do what you love, and you're going to enjoy doing it, and it's going to be worship to God. And most people in life, they live to meet their needs, but they don't live for holy vision or holy vocation. I believe that our work is worship when we serve God. If you're a tax accountant, if you're a pool cleaner, if you're a dog catcher or a mailman, if you're a school teacher or a lawyer, do you know that when you do what only you can do, that's worship to God? No, worship's just clapping and singing. No, friends, worship can be seen through your work. And that's why I love this because most people never shine. How do you shine if you're a CPA? You shine by being the greatest CPA in your office. How do you shine if you're, a, if you're a football player? You shine as being the greatest football player on the field. I believe that we, that we don't just shine through our athleticism. We shine through our servant's heart. Can I get an amen? We're going to get to that in a second. Stay with me. Most people don't realize that you will never shine in your calling, in your, in your call by God, your career for God, if number one, you don't, you don't go through a season of preparation. Anything you see that's dynamic has had a season of laser-focused preparation. You find a great chef, he's been prepared. You find a great, uh, you, you find a great car manufacturer, they've been prepared. You f- are you, any, anything you go to, anything dynamic has been laser-focused through preparation. Do you know what Esther's gift was? It was her natural beauty. But I want you to know that your natural gifts will only take you so far. Because the truth is, if she didn't prepare well for 12 months, six months with, with lotions, and another six months with perfumes, all the ladies said amen. That's a lot of preparation in the spa. And Esther spent 12 months preparing for her encounter with the king. I've heard it said that where opportunity meets preparation, that's where God destiny is released. Most people never release their destiny because they don't prepare for opportunity. One of my mentors said, Mark, you can't determine when the spotlight comes on you, but you can, you can determine what you do while you wait in the shadows. Notice that Jesus said it's what you do in secret that God rewards you with. Most people don't have open rewards because they don't have secret victories. Are, are you with me still today? I'm going somewhere. And so we find that Esther was able to stop two droughts. First drought that she ended was the drought of genocide. She saved the nation. And if you read the last part of Esther, it talks about that, that in chapter 8, it says that every providence and city heard the king's de- decree. They saved a kingdom. Light and gladness, joy and honor filled the nation. And here's the cool part. It says that, that then many of the people of the land became Jews because they heard about Esther. And what happened to Esther and Mordecai, fear came upon the whole kingdom. So Esther didn't just cause a drought of genocide to dry up. She caused a spiritual drought of doubt to dry up. Through her life, she saved genocide. And through her life, heaven was populated. Who wants the same to be said of your life? There was preparation. We steward preparation in life. And when we do, it'll always lead you to seasons of prominence. Some of you have never experienced prominence because you've never prepared. That's a word right there. Where's the Bible? I'll get to, uh, I'm preaching the Bible to you, but just stay with me. Prominence is when we steward preparation. Prominence is when you are actually elevated above other people in your world. It's when God gives you favor. 
It's when God puts a spotlight on your life. It's when people at your school are saying, that, that teacher, man, she just has a joy about her. She has this contagious personality. Man, that, that, that girl in my class, she has this light inside of her. It's crazy that when you prepare yourself and you give your heart to God, there is a prominence that will fall on your life. There's verses in Esther that say things like this, that, that they gave her more days in the spa than everyone else because favor came on her. Esther 2.9, Esther 2.15, Esther obtained favor from all who saw her. What does that mean? That their favor, prominence came on her. 2.17, the king loved her more than all the others. Prominence came upon her. Here's the issue, though. Deliverance, he says, will arise from another place if you stay quiet. Prominence, prominence and platforms come to people that are willing to prepare. And I felt like this is a, this is a word for many of you. Because you can stop the drought on your family if you'll give your heart fully to God and to begin to prepare. We prepare through prayer. Notice what happens, though, when prominence lands on your life is you realize, man, I'm doing something that for this window that's never been done before, such a time as this. Esther has this prominence. Prominence will give you a platform. It'll give you a platform. You say I want to be like a public speaker? No. That's the, that's the number one. I think death is the number one fear. N number two for most people is public speaking. So I'm not saying a public platform. For some of you maybe. But I would say that God doesn't have to give you a stage to shine. Some of you it's shining in your households. It's shining in your neighborhoods. It's shining in your office. But God wants to stop droughts through your life shining. Here's the truth though is that when prominence and preparation are met, usually that's when problems arise. Problems. Say with me, problems. You ever faced a problem before? She faced a big problem. His name was Haman the Agite. You know what's crazy about most problems? A lot of the problems that we fight in our life are problems that no one else in our family fought. Or no one else in our family won. What we know about the Agite, Haman the Agite was a descendant of King Hagag. King Hagag is found in 1 Samuel 1.15, or uh, chapter 15, 1 Samuel. It's a story of King Saul, David's predecessor that refused to obey God's voice to eliminate King Agag and all of his people. And what I learned from the story is this. I'm studying this out. And the Lord told me, he goes, Mark, see, this is proof. What you don't annihilate that's, that's sinned to the kingdom of heaven will eventually attack future generations. Do you know there would have been no Haman if Saul would have disobeyed God, if he would have obeyed God? You're still with me today. So there's, there's a preparation period. There's a prominence that comes on Esther's life. And when the prominence hit her, problems begin to surface. She got into the kingdom. She's, she's warned about a genocide. It's an irreversible edict. And after the order was actually sent, this is what's wild. You know there's always a satanic power at work because confusion will always hit the atmosphere. Like right now, I think there's someone in here who's trying to do like dark stuff in the atmosphere right now. And I take authority over any satanic plot right now in Jesus Christ's name. He's Lord over these tents. He's Lord over everyone that's listening right now. And he's going to prepare them. There's favor coming. And the drought's going to end in Jesus' name. Give him 10-second hand clap right now. Just give hell a nervous breakdown real quick. I feel it breaking. I feel it breaking. Yeah, feel it breaking right now. Wherever there's a Haman... A satanic spirit there is always confusion people are perplexed they're distracted 
in America, in California, you can see it on the headlines, when you're hearing news that causes confusion, there is a satanic plot. The good news is this, though, wherever there's satanic plots, there is sovereign protection. And I've learned this, that if we'll steward prominence well, God will get us through the problems. And what will happen is you'll look back. Say with me, blessed. Do you know that to be blessed does not speak to the beginning? It speaks to the end. Job was blessed. I mean Job. I thought his name was Job. No, it's Job. Job was blessed, but he lost everything. But how do you know he's blessed? Because to be blessed doesn't mean that you won't go through problems. To be blessed means that on the other side of the problems, when the dust settles, you look up and you go, God, I'm better off on this side than I was on that side. That's what it means to be blessed. I've often learned this, that you, you live life forwards, but you understand it looking backwards. Providence is when you look back on your life and you go, man, if that wouldn't have happened at that moment, at this window, that juncture, there's no way I'd be alive. There's no way I would I'd be listening to this message in this tent. I believe that when we overcome problems with God, we trust God in the, in the course of our problems. People say, what do you do in problems? I think the greatest thing we do in our problems is what Esther told Mordecai to tell everybody, fast and pray. I would say the more serious your problems, the more serious you need to turn to God. I think, man, if you're like, you're dealing with something life or death, I'm telling you, if I found out someone was sick, something's going on, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray. Does that mean that God's going to love you more? No, it means that I'm going to love God more. And I'm telling you, when you're facing big problems, you want to make sure your heart stays close to God. Problems will do two things. They'll push you away from God or they'll push you into God. Some of you will get bitter if you go through a problem because what will happen is bitterness always comes when your heart gets arrogant. Bitterness, do you know that it's impossible to be humble and bitter at the same time? Did you know that? Most people that are bitter are only bitter because their arrogance says, this should have never happened to me. I know better than God knows. I know better than they know. They messed up. They're the ones that hurt me. They're the problems. They left me. They slandered me. They, listen, bitterness is a fruit of pride. And Haman is the personification of pride. How do you know, Mark? Because pride is the carbon monoxide sin. It'll silently kill you. You know what Haman wanted? He wanted to be worshipped by the king. Pride always wants the praise from the praiseworthy. And the reason why most people are stuck in pride is they're, they're searching for the acclaim of the wrong king. He wanted the king to honor him instead of being honoring of the king of kings. Some of you, listen to me today, you're having a problem and God will get you out of the problem if you'll turn to God. Well, Christianity is for weak people that can't handle stuff on, on their own. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's for people that don't want to handle it with alcohol. I don't want to handle my problems with pain pills. I don't want to medicate myself, go to the bar every night, get high every night, sleep around every night. I would rather find fulfillment in Jesus. Just a crutch. Well, I hope God breaks your legs. Kidding, kidding. I'm glad my legs have a limp. Everyone that's wrestled with God walks differently the rest of their life. You'll understand as you have an encounter with God that the greatest thing you could have in life is a limp. 
You know why? Because if you walk too healthy, you'll have this pride rise up in you that you don't need God. That's why Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he said, God, don't give me so much that I think I don't need you anymore. And don't give me so little that I have to steal and make you look bad. Just give me enough that I can walk with you just with a minor limp. It's problems. We press into God. And we look back. Remember, life is lived forward, but it's understood looking backwards. We see providence. Do you know that God is a God of providence? As I mentioned before, providence is when, it's when uh, he takes natural things in life and he does them supernaturally. Let me illustrate. When I was dating Rochelle, or before, before I dated Rochelle, I was one of the college students in Boise, Idaho. I moved here from Southern California. I got there. I was just one of many students. I was a brand new Christian. I had no business marrying into the royal family. I got there. Her parents didn't know who I was. And I remember I had a crush on her, and I'm pretty sure she was stalking me. <laughs> Look, when I lifted the restraining orders, thing got serious, you know? <laughs> Kidding. I, no, but I, I had a crush on her. I think she started liking me. But the problem was is her parents had no idea who I was. Here's crazy. A uh, couple stats for you. If you don't believe in God, check this out. Is uh, I, in that three-year window, I came to California for probably a total of 10 days. Out of the 10 days that I was in California... On one particular day, I got a phone call from my oldest brother who only went to Bible studies out of probably 40 years of his life for probably six weeks. So during six weeks out of 10 days out of this time period, Rochelle's brother was scheduled to speak at a youth camp in, in lake, the lake, for, uh, lake uh, what is it called, uh, Angeles Forest here outside of the Antelope Valley where I'm from. And her brother got sick, wasn't able to come speak at this youth conference, and it was Rochelle's aunt and uncle's church from San Diego. So they said, well, can your dad come? So Rochelle's dad, Pastor Ken Wild, he flies down for her brother and literally speaks at this camp. Well, he got here late, and guess what? The campground was full. They had no rooms available. So at 11 o'clock at night, they looked up the closest hotel, and it was in Lancaster, California. They drive Ken Wild, who had no business being in Lancaster, California, into Lancaster, they put him up in this shoddy hotel, and in the shoddy hotel's parking lot on the wrong side of town, there was this, this rundown, hole-in-the-wall breakfast place. My brother went to this breakfast place probably six times for a Bible study in his whole life. One of those six times was one of the ten days I was in California. And that morning, as my, my brother was leaving the, the breakfast Bible study, he got into his pickup truck was driving out of the parking lot at the exact moment. Ken Wilde, who was probably 59 years old, and out of 59 years, he was never in Lancaster his entire life. He was walking in front of my brother's truck. At the moment, my brother was walking out of the, driving out of the parking lot, and my brother rolls down his window and goes, Pastor Ken Wilde? He says, yes. He goes, I'm Mark Francie's brother. He's like, I knew I liked you. I got to add some details there. Keep you with me. But literally through that encounter, you know what happened? I got to drive my future father-in-law around for three days. He got to know me, fell in love with me. If that didn't happen, when I tried to date Rochelle, he'd be like, who is this guy? God set up a divine appointment. Say with me, providence. He used a natural circumstance supernaturally. That's just coincidence. Let me give you another coincidence. Who, got, who likes coincidence? 2011. I'm watching Supercross, Anaheim 1, come on, Orange County. 
There's two people in here. God bless you. I'm watching it. I have a, a kid I'm pastoring that was racing this series. And they did a 30 for 30, and there was this guy named Cole Seeley. And it caught my attention because I knew one day we were to live in Orange County. And the announcer said, and out of all the supercross dirt bike riders, only one lives in Orange County in Laguna Beach. His name is Cole Seeley. And I said, Rochelle, come in here. And she came in the living room. I said, babe, he goes, he lives in Orange County. He's the only dirt bike rider that lives in Orange County that showed him riding mountain bikes in Laguna Beach. I said, babe, one day he's going to go to our church. One day I'm going to lead that guy to the Lord. And one day, I'm going to ride mountain bikes and show them what's up. Yeah. i got to tell the truth up here. i got the microphone. And uh, literally, so I said that to her. We, I prayed for him right there in my living room, 2011. Eight years later, we live here. When I moved here in 2018, out of 3.2 million people in Orange County, yeah. out of all of them, guess who I moved next door to? Yeah. Cole Seeley's lifelong best friend and motorcycle agent. He's got Cole Seeley's dirt bike in his garage when I walk over to his house. I said, this is crazy. So I end up leading Mikey is his name. Mikey gets saved in our church. Mikey brings Cole Seeley to our church. Cole Seeley gets saved in our church. I ride mountain bikes with Cole. I just officiated his wedding three months ago. Providence. Are you hearing me? Providence. God has a way of allowing things to line up. One night. There's a story of this guy named Mordecai. He heard, a, he heard a plot to assassinate the king. He told it to Esther. Esther told it to her husband. The king said, man, thank God I, I escaped death. And literally weeks later, the night Haman planned to actually kill Mordecai, he came in the morning to get permission to kill Mordecai. That night, God gave the king insomnia. How many know that God could be glorified through insomnia? That's crazy. He couldn't sleep. You know what he does? He goes, read me something boring. So his servant comes out and he goes, let me read the people, some, some judicial things. He said, well, there's a guy named Mordecai that actually saved your life from being assassinated. And the moment they read that particular story, that particular night, before he was going to lose his head the next morning, the king goes, have we rewarded him yet? And he said, no, we haven't rewarded him. So the king goes, the first person that comes in here, I'm going to ask how I should reward Mordecai. So guess who walks in first thing in the morning? Haman. Guess what Haman wanted to ask for? The head of Mordecai. And guess what? He says, he says uh, king, um, hey, how you doing? And the king goes, hey, let me ask you something. What should I do for someone I delight in so much? And Haman's so arrogant, so proud. Pride's like bad breath. You're always the last one to know you have it. If you think you're humble, you're probably not. Come on, somebody. He goes, that must be me. He's like, you should give him your coat. You should give him a bunch of fancy jewelry. Throw him on your horse. Have one of your top leaders parade him around the kingdom. And wouldn't you know it, the king looks at Haman and goes, do that exactly for Mordecai. Providence. So he parades him around, loses his mind. And through all of this story, providence after providence, it's crazy how big God is. It's crazy that God literally set the stage for everything. Throughout history, God has been providential. Do you know that God had to fulfill his promise that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem? The problem was they were in Nazareth. How do, you get, how do you get someone out of Nazareth to Bethlehem? 
Through God's providence, he had a king basically say, hey, we want everybody to get registered from where your family's from. Providence. Through providence, God, God moved the heart of a king. Through providence, we see over and over and over again that God says, I want to get the gospel throughout the whole known world. How do I get a preacher to, to change all of Rome? Who better to preach the gospel to the whole continent than a Jew that has Roman citizenship? And when he actually says, I want to talk to Nero, they set it, they set it up and said, you're a Roman citizen. You can go talk to your king. God set the stage over and over and over again. It says at just the right time, God set the stage for the good news. Do you know that it was because of Greece dominance that one of the most detailed languages ever hit the earth at the right time, that they started the roads and Rome finished the roads. And there was roads to take the gospel to the highways and to the byways. Jesus was born in the perfect window of history to circulate the good news to the ends of the earth. Providence over and over and over again. God sets the stage for things to be done. Who better to lead the nation of Israel than a shepherd-trained worshiper named David? Who better to preach to the non-Jews than someone that knew every single thing about the Jews? Who better to preach to the, to the Jewish nation than a fisherman that was literally, that had no business preaching to the Jews? It's amazing to me that over and over again, God solved problems with his providence. And here's the last thing I want to share with you today. We become stars when we allow God to prepare us, when we actually allow him to elevate us to prominence. We get on that stage and we use it for him. We become stars when we actually, we, we turn into God with problems, not away from Him. We become stars when we realize God is providentially directing my life. Can I get an amen from someone that knows that to be true? And when He directs your life, here's the cool part. God is a God that wants to give power to His kids. Do you know what some good parents like to do? Good parents. Their kids turn 16, they go, man, if I have the resources, I want to give my kids the power to drive themselves to school. I want my kids to have the power to drive themselves home from school. Save up like an hour of my day. Come on. Give you power. Parents love to entrust their kids with power. You know how to go to the bathroom yourself now. You know how to feed yourself now. You can make your own meal now. Do you know that God is a God? I want you to catch this real quick. Power comes from God. Psalm 62:11 said, God has said many times that power belongs to him. Power belongs to who? Power belongs to who? And here's the good news. God's power is distributed to individuals that will seek the good of others. I heard the Lord say, Mark, you know who I give my power to? Those that live others-oriented. Here's the problem. The problem is this, is power comes from God but it must be used for others. Most people squander power on themselves, and it dries the stream up. Power continues to flow where the love for others continues to go. So, so significant here today that we came from God, for God, and others. We came from God, for God, and for others. We came from God, we came for God, and for others. Where is that biblically? Well, all over the Bible. But how about Luke 9.1? Jesus gave power and authority to his small group to go lay hands on the sick, 
to drive out demons and to cure diseases. In who? In others. Notice he didn't give them authority for themselves. And the reason why most people and most churches, they cave in on, on themselves when power is given is they stop using the power for others and they start to use it on themselves. Are you with me today? Greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Others oriented. Pride is self-obsessed. It's self-obsessed. The proud don't know, they don't know who they are. But those that know God, they know that, man, I know who I am. I know where power comes from. And notice this, that Mordecai in the very last chapter, in the very last verse, it says that he did good to all the people of the land. And he became like Daniel and like Joseph, the second most powerful man in all of the kingdom. Who does God entrust power to? To those that will use it for others. Are you with me? Power and authority in the kingdom of God get corrupted and contaminated when we forget that it's for other people. Say it one more time. We've, we've all been hurt by churches and people and pastors and leaders that were gifted. They had his power, but they started to use it on themselves and spend it for themselves and not for others. Quite frankly, every week, I'm just as desperate to hear God's voice as I was the previous week. I know how unimpressive I am when the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to me. I, I don't have a PhD other than prayer, healing, healing, and deliverance. I don't have an Ivy League degree. I'm not a very impressive person, but man, I know his voice. And if I can stay close to him, this last week, I heard, I was, God was downloading all this stuff. I'm like, God, this is so outside of my pay grade. This knowledge you're giving me, this strategy you're giving me, I know it's you because I would never think of any of this. And he reminded me, he said, Mark, I'll keep giving you things way beyond you if you keep on using all of it for to reach other people. If you live for others, I'll fill your life with my power and your glory. Do you believe that today? God will give you a glory and a power in your business, in your marriage, in your children. God will entrust power if you'll be dedicated to giving it to others. Helping others. So important truth is where there's a lack of power there's a lack of there's a lack of, uh, of, of, of of water and where there's a lack of water there's a famine but if you can stop the drought you can end the famine we end the famine by stopping the drought how do you stop the droughts where there's a drought of power in your life the bible says god resists the proud but he gives grace to the he gives grace to the grace is the word we get power from Grace is actually not just a band-aid we put on our sins. Grace is a steroid we put in our spirit to overcome wickedness. God gives grace to the humble. And I want you to know today that God will give you power if you come to him humbly. Most people don't realize this, that God will make you a star from sorrow to joy, from mourning to holiday, from fasting to feasting. If we'll be willing to say, God, prepare me. God, if you give me prominence, I'm not going to use it for myself. God, in my problems, I'm going to turn to you and not from you. God, in your providence, direct my life. And Jesus, if you'll give me your Holy Spirit and give me power, I'll spend the rest of my life sharing it to others. If we live like this, we become stars that God can reflect his glory off of. He says, you are a city on a hill cannot be hidden, salt of the earth. 
Too many people aren't shining because they're not prepared. They've mishandled prominence. They've abandoned God in problems. They've ignored God's providence. Or they've disregarded God's power. They've talked bad or down on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power source of all of the kingdom. And if, you, if you're dishonoring to the Spirit of God, there will always be a deficiency of power in your life. Churches, if you dishonor the Holy Spirit, there will always be a power deficiency in your churches. Where does power flow? Power comes from God. Are you hearing me today? So here's what I want to ask, honest question. How many say, Mark, I want to turn to God and ask Him to prepare me to shine. I, want to, I feel like I'm in a season of preparation, and I don't want to screw it up. I'm asking God for help. Prepare me. Would you raise your hand up? And that's me. That's me. That's me. Down. How many say, Mark, I feel like God's given me some prominence. I don't want to waste any of it. Squander it on myself. I want to be trustworthy. He's given me prominence, but I want to steward it well. I felt the Lord say he's going to help you. Some of you are in a problem right now, and you're like, Mark, I've been tempted to get bitter. I've been tempted to leave the church. I've been tempted to, to turn away from God, to deconstruct. God says, this isn't time to deconstruct. It's time to turn into him. Problems, but I'm turning into God today. Would you put your hands up? I'm in some, I'm in some problems, but I'm going to turn to God. Would you turn to God? Turn to God. Awesome. Hands up, down. Last, last couple things. How many say, Mark, I want to give God the credit for his providential direction in my life. I'm going to honor that everything that good in my life has come down from above. Not me, it's God. And lastly, say, Mark, I would love it if you pray for me today that yes, like Esther, like Mordecai, I would be trustworthy with power. That the power wouldn't corrupt me. Do you know one of the hardest things for God is finding men and women to whom he can entrust his power. Most people that get his power, it destroys them. Not most, I'd say a lot. Especially I'm talking about in the world. You look at the Tiger Woods. We look at the, we look at the Bill Cosby's. We look at some of these people in the world that had these crazy gifts. But the power that they had, it destroyed them from the inside. You hear me right now. I can give you a long list. I'm not going to try to embarrass people. But I think that God is looking for sons and daughters that he's prepared to, to steward his power. Amen? So I want to ask you a question. Any of those areas you want to respond today, would you stand your feet? stand to your feet. God, I just, I want to, I want to be humble today. I want to, I want to invite God in to prepare me. I would love it, man, if he would, he would show me how to steward prominence. I don't want to screw it up. I don't want to defy God or deny God my problems. Certainly don't want to ignore God by his providential goodness to me. And I would love it if his spirit would fill me up today so I could fill somebody else up. I think we should always come to God like a pregnant woman. We should always come to God with an appetite for two people. Get so much of God that you got enough for somebody else. I'm not eating for one. I'm eating for two. Why are you so rowdy at church? Because I'm not just worshiping God for me. I want, I'm worshiping God for my family that's not here yet. Trying to get so full today, I got something for my coworkers this week. So here's what we're going to do. If that's you, I'm out of time. We'll wrap this up in the next couple minutes. Get you out of here in time for the game. You got a DVR anyways. It's all right. Here's what we're going to do right now. Close your eyes. We'll get out of here in five minutes. Feel the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you say, Mark, honestly, I feel like God's been preparing me. I'm going to season a prominence, but I want to steward it. I'm facing a problem. I want to turn to God and away from him. Providence thing, then it's right on right now where I'm at. I'm really lacking power, but I need it. Would you just lift your hands towards heaven today? I want you to pray this prayer because sometimes the only voice you believe is your own. Say this prayer. Holy Spirit, 
I ask you this morning that as I give you my heart all the way that you would prepare me. Raise me up that when opportunity knocks, I will be prepared for it. Give me the character. Give me the charisma. Give me your anointing to do what you made me to do. In Jesus' name. When you give me prominence, I ask you that I'd always walk humbly. I'd walk in faith. I'd walk in hope. I'd walk in love. And when problems come, show me to run to you and not from you. Lord, I'm asking today, I'm inviting you to providentially guide me, my marriage, my family, my future in Jesus' name. And lastly, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need your power. I need your help. Fill me with your fruit and with your gifts. And help me to live others-oriented in Jesus Christ's name. You pray that prayer to say amen. Would you give God a five or ten second hand clap? He's moving today. I can feel it. Feel it right now. He's moving. Last couple of things we'll do today. You're here and you have a need in your body. It's like God's healing you. There's someone here that you're like, uh, you came in, you don't believe in God, but the left-hand side of your body is like hot right now. It's hot on the left-hand side. You might have had some sort of like, uh, I don't know if it was a stroke or something like degenerate, like numbness in your body. God's healing the left-hand side of your body, like fingers and toes. And literally, I, I felt like he, he wanted to do this intentionally right now. Before I invite the church to give their hearts to him, he was going to heal you physically to show you that he's trustworthy with your whole life. If he could do that for your body, what could he do for your spirit and your soul? I pray right now for anyone that needs healing, that you would heal them. But there's many today that need to turn their hearts to you. Say this phrase, all in. Last service, I heard it really loud. God was saying that he's not asking for some of you. He wants all of you. He wants you to be all in. Like Esther, he wants you to bet the farm. Risk it all. Give every part of your heart to him. And some of you, you love God, you believe in him, but you've never given him every area of your life. And I'm inviting you today to go all in. Some of you, you've never been in at all. You've never touched anything that's God. And I'm asking you to also come all in. We're going to turn from darkness, and we're going to turn all the way to Jesus. We're going to turn from our old life all the way to Jesus. Are you ready? Get you out of here. You ready? Let's do this. If you're here today, I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come right now. And every person in this tent that needs to get right with you, I pray that you would do it right now, right here, in Jesus' name. If that's you, would just... On the count of three, I want you to lift your hands and say, God's inviting me to come all in, and I'm ready to do it. One, all over the room, just count the cost. Think about, I'm going all in today. Two, God, I pray right now you'd respond. They would respond, not miss this moment. In Jesus Christ's name, three, right now I'm going all in. Raise your hand real high. Just keep it up. Just keep it up. Just keep it up. We're going we're to give you a good hand clap today. Ocean's Church on Super Bowl Sunday. Five, real high. Six, seven, eight, real high. Nine, real high. Ten, eleven, right, real high. Twelve, I love it. Thirteen, I love it. I love it. I love it. Anybody else? Thirteen, thirteen hands. Awesome. Awesome. I think I, didn't, I missed one. Fourteen hands. 
I love it. Okay, awesome. Going all in. Going all in. Pray this prayer with all those uh, 14. If you're online right now, just write heart, H-E-A-R-T. Something about taking a step of action, whether it's this, walking to the front, typing on your keyboard, write all in. And all over oceans, we're going to pray with you right now. Say, Jesus, I'm inviting you today all the way in. And I ask you to show me how to go all the way in. I turn from my old life, from the darkness of my old ways, and I turn fully to you. Lead me out of it and into your marvelous light. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, fill me. And Jesus, make me your disciple. From here out, in Jesus' name. You pray that prayer, I believe. That's the beginning of your walk with God. Really walking with God. Give a good hand clap, Ocean's Church. So awesome. I don't know why, man. I just, I know this message. I feel like it's just, again, kind of a prophetic message that God is looking for men and women to give power to, to shine. There is a new breed of entrepreneurs. There is a new breed of CEOs educators media people there's a there's a new generation coming on the scene that are going to be trustworthy with the spirit of god you hear me and i just feel the lord inviting you to say be my star be my star let me show you my providence i'll get you to people that you would never meet by yourself I'll take you further than your education. I'll take you to places that no one in your family has ever walked. And I'll show you things that no one in your lineage has ever seen. Follow me, and I'll show you. You're going to be my stars. Grab your neighbor's hand, and we're going to declare this over our church. God is raising up a Joseph generation of master dreamers. Men and women that are dreaming with God, walking with God, and transforming their cultures. So right now, for your neighbor on your left and on your right, come on, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, make them on my left and on my right. Like Esther, like Mordecai, make them your star. In Jesus' name, prepare them, give them prominence, give them your grace to overcome problems. Holy Spirit, providentially direct their life and from this day forward give them power beyond their own to do what you made them to do they're not living for their needs they're living for your calling fill them with dreams fill them with visions wake them up at night speak to them from here out use them to end droughts in Jesus' name, God's people said. Come on, give me a hand clap to the Ocean's Church.